Hear these words from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Rends the reading of God's word. Started a series for the month of September on these words up here. Belong, believe, and behave. And I'm convinced that all three are important. That as a Christian, we belong to something. There are certain behaviors that we we get into what we belong to. And there are certain beliefs that help describe what we belong and how we behave. But I think we've made a, a mistake in Christianity in the last couple hundred years of defining ourselves primarily by our beliefs. I think beliefs follow. Beliefs come second, like falling in love. You fall in love with somebody, and then eventually you start to define the relationship. Eventually you start to use the L word, and you say, I love you. But the feelings start first. And and in Christianity, I think we we belong to God. We we start to experience that and what Jesus Christ did to us. We start to behave. We go to church, and we we, we follow ethically, and we, we... Um, read our Bible and we pray and then we end up kind of defining that and having belief to support those things. And when you get those backwards, you end up with Christians that believe but don't behave right. You end up with Christians who think they believe the right thing but they're not actually doing the things of prayer and Bible study that support the beliefs that we have. And so today I, I want to especially talk about this thing, the Bible. Because I think the same mistake we've made in our faith, we've made about the Bible. We've made it primarily an instruction book about our beliefs instead of understanding that it's much bigger and much more beautiful than that. To begin with, let me give you a little history, a little of my history with the Bible. As most of you know, I'm the son of a pastor, which means I grew up with the Bible. I just did. My parents both loved the Bible and read the Bible, and uh, my dad preached, and my mom was a serious Bible study person, okay? Got her Bible out, she read every day, and studied, and my mom, one of the best Bible teachers that I've ever heard, she just really loved and gets into the Word. I also went to Sunday school and to church, and we went there very regularly as a pastor's kid, and... um, Also, I went to a Christian school, which means Bible was a daily class in most of my education system. Okay, I got a lot of the Bible and I knew a lot of the stories and I understood them. But but I started to notice something as I was growing up. I started to notice that different people had different views of the Bible. Okay, my parents saw the Bible as very life-giving and very active and you you wanted to get into it. But but I I met other people who, who looked at the Bible very legalistically. It has these rules, it's really set, and it's really rigid, and you have to follow this. And, and I saw this range of people that had different approaches to the Bible. And so I, I was always fascinated with the Bible, and I'm so thankful that my parents had this real um, love of the Scriptures. But I also wrestled with, well, what is it? How do I deal with it? And I struggled with some of the legalistic understanding of the Bible that I experienced But furthermore, the Bible was sort of handed to me. I mean, I had it in class, and I had it in Sunday school when it was kind of given to me. And as I 
became an adult and I went to college and I had to figure this thing out for myself a lot more, I had to start to say, well, what's, what's my view of the Bible and what's my relationship with the Bible? I'm so thankful that I learned the, the stories, but I had to wrestle with. Okay, so, so many people call the Bible, I don't know if you've heard this acronym, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. You ever hear that one? Bible, B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. But here's the problem. When I got to reading it, you know what I found? It's not all that basic. Okay, it's not all that basic. Many Christians read the same Bible and come up with all kinds of different ideas, right? There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that is clear and we can't debate, but there's a whole lot of stuff in the Bible that is actually not that clear and you have to wrestle with it. Some of the core beliefs of the Christian faith, okay, like that Jesus is fully God and fully human, that, that was really figured out and agreed upon by the church at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 AD. Took the church 400 plus years after Jesus to finally establish that Jesus is fully God and fully human. Why? Because it, was, it wasn't laid out. It was a bunch of stories and they had to sort of figure out what they decided about it. Took them a while to really articulate what the Trinity was. Because it's not that basic. It's not that clear. There are lots of things I wish the Bible was clear on. Okay, I, I wish the Bible just told you exactly what it meant by marriage and would clear up a whole bunch of discussions that we're having right now in our culture today. But the Bible is not as basic as people want to make it out to be. You've got to wrestle with it. It was diverse, with different kinds of literature, different authors, different arguments, agendas, and styles. Furthermore, basic instructions before leaving earth, it's not an instruction book. There's not a lot of instruction in there. It's a lot of story, a lot of poetry, and a lot of letters. There are some rules, but it's not a big rule book. If, if the Bible is an instruction manual, let's be honest, it's terribly written. Okay? Because if I want to find out how to raise my kids, I can't go to the raise my kids section and just do it. Furthermore, the instruction manual metaphor for the Bible is terrible. Let me ask you an important question. When's the last time you read an instruction manual? When's the last time you read an instruction manual? Instruction manuals are last resort items, right? I will open the instruction manual as soon as the microwave stops working. Until then, that thing's on a shelf somewhere collecting dust. And if I think about the Bible that way, of course, the Bible is a last resort instruction manual. Okay? Furthermore, it really is not written as an instruction manual. Can you imagine if your instruction manual for your microwave was written like the Bible? Okay? In the beginning was the microwave. And the microwave was with the manufacturer, and the microwave was the manufacturer. There was a man who was sent from the manufacturer. His name was the salesman, right? No, your Bible, your, your instruction manual for your microwave is not like that. And there's a reason why you don't spend your quiet time with a microwave manual, okay? It's a last resort. And the Bible is not an instruction manual. It's just not. It is not. And we need to give up that metaphor because it's not helping us. Furthermore, to say that the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth is to ignore the fact that the book itself says we don't, that that's not the end goal to leave earth, that we come back. So the Bible that, that was simple and that people seemed to describe to me was not the Bible that I actually read and found when I studied. And when I went to seminary, I encountered a whole lot of teaching that was very different from the instruction manual understanding of the Bible. The idea that, that most scholars believe Mark is primary in the Gospels and that Matthew and Luke copy parts of Mark. 
Okay, And in the Greek, word for word, they're copying and maybe editing a little bit parts of Mark. Which was interesting because the church, we've said that Matthew wrote uh, the, bi- the, the gospel of Matthew. But why would he copy Mark, who's not a disciple, if he was a disciple? Most scholars and even most Jewish scholars believe in what's called the documentary hypothesis. The idea that Moses did not himself write the first five books of the Bible, but it was sort of edited over time. And maybe Moses wrote it at first, but it was edited and massaged and and sort of different groups went back and worked on it. That a lot of books were not written by the people that are commonly thought to have written them. That archaeology is very strong for the New Testament and the times of kings. But, but a lot of the older stories, the archaeology doesn't pan out for the Bible very well. And I experienced the, a number of scholars who, instead of being antagonistic towards science, uh, really believed that science was okay and that Bible and science could fit together. And so I, I had my, my understanding of Bible sort of knocked around a little bit in seminary. But at the same time, I started preaching, and I started preaching here. And that's what really taught me about the Bible, because I had to study a text, and I had to take into account the stuff I was learning in seminary, and then to a certain point, I had to forget it and really try to understand the life that God was trying to give through these biblical passages. I started to understand that these were texts written by specific people in specific places, but that when you started to understand where they wrote and why they wrote, that that all of a sudden we got this bigger understanding. I started to see myself and the lives of you all in the pages of this ancient text. I began to find the beauty of the scriptures, that God would meet me there and found it very life-giving. And so I must confess that in my adult life, I've had kind of an on-again, off-again relationship with the Bible. I haven't always known quite what to do with this word. But I also fell in love with it. And I decided that if I was going to follow this book, I really had to do so in a way that was true to the actual book. I couldn't pretend it was an instruction manual. I had to deal with it as it was written. After all, God could have written an instruction manual. And he didn't. He chose to reveal himself in this way, in this library, this rich, complex, and ancient library. And what I found was a Bible that I did not expect, but I found something amazing when I let the Bible be what it was. That it wasn't a book that needed to be defended. It was a book that needed to be open and read. So let me share a little bit about the way I view the Bible that I think might be helpful to you. And I want to do so in the story of Jonah. Jonah. You remember the story of Jonah? Let me recap a bit. God calls a prophet named Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh. But instead, Jonah gets on a ship and heads towards the opposite direction to a place called Tarsus. On the boat... A storm comes, and the men of the boat cast Lot to find out why they're in such a terrible storm. And the lots fall to this man, Jonah. So they talk to him, and they confront him. And Jonah says, well, you got to throw me overboard because it's God. This, I'm the reason that this storm is here. They throw him overboard. He's swallowed by a big fish. He spends three days and three nights in that fish where he prays this amazing, elaborate prayer about the depths of Sheol coming to get him and his distance from God. And finally, he is spewed back out by the fish, goes to Nineveh, 
who hears his message. And Nineveh has this great uh, repentance. And they decide that they were wrong. But meanwhile, Jonah is mad at God who spared this city. And God uses this weird story with a plant to show Nineveh how unjustified his anger is. And the story ends with Jonah on the outside of the city, pouting, refusing to go back in. And we never know what he does. We never know if he accepts the grace that God gives to the Ninevites or shows them any grace himself. It's a great story. I would encourage you this week to pick it up sometime, read it through for yourself. Now, the first thing, the first thing that people want to ask about this story is, did this really happen? Is it a figurative story, just a story to teach a lesson, or did this guy really get caught up in the belly of a fish? Uh, in fact, the discussion is so strong about that that we tend to talk about it as a whale because scientifically, well, at least a whale breathes and the whale's bigger, so maybe the, the, the Hebrew there is most definitely fish, not uh, whale, but that's all right. That's the debate. And it's so interesting to me that people want to debate the science of this fish story, because if you turn the page over and you read the, the prayer of Jonah in Jonah chapter 2, you know what you're going to find? A very unscientific prayer. Okay, Jonah prays a prayer based on the science of his day, which was this idea that um, the earth was on a flat disk with waters below and waters above, like God had divided it in Genesis. There were pillars sort of holding up this flat disk, and there was a dome that held up back the waters, and above the waters in heaven was the throne room of God. There were these water gates that would, uh, floodgates that would be let open from heaven, and water would come down, and that was their understanding of rain. See, we want to argue the debate of the science of the fish, but if you go to Jonah chapter 2, you're going to find an understanding of the world, a cosmology, that is not accurate. It's not accurate. It's Jonah's understanding of the science. Okay, It's the science of his day. It's their cosmology, but, but it, it's, it's written at a particular time. And I want to pause here for a second. The Bible was written by specific people in specific times. The understanding of, of the Bible has never been that God wrote the Bible. Okay, get this in your head. There are other faiths that believe God wrote their Bible, boom, God wrote their scriptures. That is not the Christian belief. The Christian belief is that God inspired our Bible. Inspired our Bible, which means that people wrote from their perspective, in their moment, in their time, based on God's inspiration. But when Paul sits down to write a letter to Galatia, he doesn't think he's writing uh, a Bible, and he doesn't uh, wake up in the morning and be like, oh, look what God did with my hand. He wrote this letter to the Galatians. He wrote a letter to the Galatians. That's our understanding of the Bible. Okay, so it's inspired by God, but it's written in Jonah's time and Jonah's place. So back to the fish story. Is it scientific and is it historic? Actually, I'm not totally sure. Okay, I don't actually come to the scriptures from a position of suspicion. I don't think, oh, because it sounds crazy, it has to be wrong, right? Because the whole point of the book hinges on a Jesus who was fully God, who died and rose again. I don't have any problem with the great and miraculous in the scripture. But here's what I do think. I think our debates about the fish take us away from the real beauty of the story of Jonah. The fish part is the least interesting part of the story. 
And you miss the story if all you hear is the fish part. To see that, you've got to take seriously the life and the times of whoever wrote this book and what was going on in their world. So let's enter their world a little bit. Now, where is Nineveh? Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. The Assyrians had come in and killed many, many Christians or or Jews. Killed many, many Jews, wiped out, destroyed a lot of the land. And the Jews that were left to survive were all ripped from their home and spread out all over the Assyrian Empire. Okay? So that their, their culture would die, so that they would never be anything Jewish again. Okay? So when, when, when Jonah is doing this, or when these people are reading about this story of Jonah... These are all people who have, have relatives that have been killed by the Ninevites. You understand that? Okay. These Ninevites are the enemy. These Ninevites, they're, they're reading this story all over the empire because they, they're not supposed, because they're supposed to be wiped out. They were hated by the Ninevites and they hated the Ninevites. They hated the Assyrians. You understand? Everyone who read this book was on Jonah's side. Everybody who read this book was like, Jonah's right. God, you cannot forgive those people. We cannot forgive those people. Do you know what they've done? How could God forgive our enemies? How could we? How could this happen? Furthermore, everyone who read that book would have been mad at God too. The same feeling that that, that, that Jonah has towards God, how could you forgive these people? Everybody who read the story was like, God, this is not fair. We're your chosen people. We were yanked out of the land you promised us. And now you are forgiving the people that did this to us. See, the real power of the fish story isn't fish related. It's twofold. Number one, this is a story about the importance of forgiveness. And not just the forgiveness of minor offenses. Can we forgive those who are cruel, who have harmed us, and who have no regret for doing it? This is a book about seeing God's forgiveness, accepting God's forgiveness, and learning to forgive others who have harmed us. And how many of us have trouble forgiving others, or forgiving ourselves, or asking for forgiveness? How many do you know, and maybe this is you, that you were harmed in some way and you just cannot forgive them, and so your life is kind of stopped in that moment? Or God did something to you or the world took something from you and you think, God, I'm not going any further with you because of what happened here. The real power of this story is the story of forgiveness. And if you debate about the fish and you miss the forgiveness, you miss the real life of the story. You understand that? You miss the real life of the story. But also, this is a powerful story in that it tells us about God. This story moves forward Israel's understanding about God. Okay? In Israel's early stories, God is a God of war. God is a God that gets mad. God is a God that gets ticked off. God is a God. And then as Israel gets to know God, and as God reveals himself to Israel, their understanding of God expands. It changes. It gets different. And then as we get Jesus, the, the Bible's understanding of God just gets huge. My, my mom gave me a great metaphor for this. And that's a telescope. You, you know, like a telescope, like a, like a ship captain would use, okay? That, that what happens in the Bible as you read the Bible is that the telescope keeps expanding and twisting to get clearer and clearer and to see further and further. 
Okay? So when Israel first sees God, they see God in a little way. It doesn't mean that they're wrong. It just means they don't totally understand this God that they're seeing yet. And then as they get more experience with God, the telescope expands so that you end up with a much longer telescope. Okay? And then when Jesus comes along, the telescope whoop, just gets huge. Because now we have God in the flesh. Now we have this new. In fact, in the New Testament, you know what they're doing a lot of times? They're looking back at the Old Testament with the new telescope. They say, we got to re-understand what God was doing back there because now we've got Jesus we know. Then we got the Holy Spirit. we got the Holy Spirit within us. we got a whole other, the, the telescope just keeps expanding. And you got to understand when you read the Bible that when we get to Jonah and all of a sudden Israel sees this great forgiveness and grace of God, it's like the telescope expands. It's a better, clearer understanding of who God really is. The huge leap forward, of course, is Jesus. And amazingly, Jesus uses this Jonah story to interpret his mission on earth. Let me read for you from Matthew 12, starting in verse 39. He answered, this is Jesus, a wicked and adulterous people A generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Then the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. See, Jesus looks back at Jonah. And he says, three days, three nights in the belly of the fish. Guess what? Son of man is going to go through three days, three nights in the belly of the earth in a grave. And something much, much greater than Jonah is going to happen. And the Ninevites, well, they were bad. And they repented. And here you are, leaders of Israel, and you're not repenting. Jesus repeats, Jesus looks back with a telescope in a little different way and says, hey, you know that story of forgiveness of Jonah? I'm the even better Jonah. Because Jonah was forced to go through the belly. He didn't want to go the wrong, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He was forced to go through the belly to go back. But Jesus said, I'm willing to go through the belly. I'm willing to go through all that to forgive those who do not deserve forgiveness. That's you. That's me. Jesus compares his grave to that belly of the fish and in so doing, rewrites his mission as a mission of forgiveness greater than the one of Jonah. And the early Christians really identified with this because when we go back to early Christian graves and tombs, You know what we find? We find carvings and paintings of the story of Jonah around them and on their caskets because they believed that in their death they were going through the belly but they were going through to something else. And do you know in Christian history a lot of times the baptismal font that you would find in churches it would have the carvings of the story of Jonah on it. And there were even carvings where the font itself was a fish. Holding the bowl, holding the water in his mouth. So that when you were baptized, you were going through the fish. You were going through the death and life and resurrection of Jesus. And you were given new life. Do you see the real beauty of the Jonah story? 
The real beauty of the Jonah story is that it's our story. It's our forgiveness that we don't deserve, and it's our challenge to forgive other people that don't deserve it either. And yet, because God forgives us, we are called to forgive others. It's right there in the Lord's Prayer, right? So please understand me. I, I don't come at the Bible from a position of suspicion. But I understand that whether you believe that there was a real fish story or you believe this was a literal story, a figurative story, it was just a story written to teach people a lesson, I, I actually don't care what you think. I actually don't care. And I don't think the Bible requires that you believe it is or it isn't. I, I think the Bible is pretty open about that. My worry is that we, in trying to fight over whether it's a literal or a figurative story, miss out on the true beauty and life-giving nature of this story. The debate takes away from the life. And I think we miss it if we read the Bible for debate instead of life. Here's my point. God could have given us an instruction manual. God could have given us a rule book, but he didn't. Because I think he knew that if we had all the rules and we had all the instructions, that we would follow the instructions instead of really following him. That we would read the book to find the rules instead of reading the book to find him. And God wants us to find him. So he could have written it any way, but he wrote it this way so that we have to wrestle, so that we have to think. And yeah, it's hard. It takes some work to get into the Bible because it's ancient literature. It comes from a different time and from a different place. And yet, if you do the work, God comes to you and he meets you there. And next week, I'm going to try to talk about how do you do that work? How do you get into the Bible and begin to understand it? But for right now, I have just want to really proclaim to you how much I have fallen in love with this book. How much life I have found in this book. It is worth the effort to dive in. Let's pray. Lord, teach us the nature of your word, not as we wish it was, but as it truly is, that we may find you in the pages of this book, that we may find ourselves in the pages of this book, and that we may find life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.